Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Popcorn and Compliance, a podcast where, with Jay Rosen, we take a look at movies from the compliance perspective. But before we get to our podcast, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You Would you like to explore some compliance topic? Well, I have founded the Compliance Podcast Network, and I'm looking for new podcasters. If you've wondered how you might start a podcast, please listen to our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business. And One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode, Jay and I take a look at Mary Poppins Returns, one of the all-time family classics and indeed great movies over the past 50 years. Mary Poppins is iconic. Is the new movie Mary Poppins Returns worthy of its predecessor? Jay and I take a look at that and, of course, look at the movie from the compliance perspective with several lessons learned. I know you will enjoy it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, back with Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, for another episode of Popcorn and Compliance. Today, we take a look at Mary Poppins Returns. We ask the question of whether one of the great classics from the past 50 years, family classics, children classics, uh, and even adult classics from the past 50 years can be updated, can be uh, reimagined, can be brought forward. And of course, looking at this from uh, with uh, our compliance glasses on to see what compliance lessons learned. So Jay, with that uh, introduction, welcome. Thanks, Tom. Uh, I've had fun so far the last couple of weeks taking a look at uh, Popcorn and Compliance. And today we have uh, a remake of one of Disney's classic uh, children's um, films from the 60s, Mary Poppins. We all know the original starred um, Julie Andrews in one of her breakout roles over a period of several years and Dick Van Dyke. And um, I would say that Disney has put together a faithful recreation. Um, what Disney is really good at is what we in the movie industry used to call doing tentpole movies. And basically a tentpole movie is a movie that you can uh, basically schedule the rest of your um, you know, uh, yearly uh, schedule around. So the tent pole is the one that stands up t- on top of the circus tent and then the other little ones fall below it uh the way that movie making has now become is that you've either got very small independent movies that are being financed by netflix by amazon prime by other people or you've got movies that are more than 200 million dollars and these are your comic book movies your x-men your um avengers type films uh mary Poppins. Poppins falls somewhere in between there, and it's Disney. Nobody leverages their properties like they do, so it makes complete sense to do a remake of Mary Poppins, and they've uh, faithfully populated it with some British speakers. Uh, Emily Blunt plays Mary Poppins. Uh, There are some Easter eggs of stars who have been in the movie that that show up. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, the creative force 
behind in the Heights and the Kennedy Center recently honored Hamilton. Uh, I think steals the show is Jack, who's a former, uh, rather, who's a current chimney sweep. And um, so in terms of why make the movie, there, there's really no question about the next thing that I think I'd like us to consider is how successfully uh, was the movie executed? I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Tom? So, Jay, uh, this movie really worked for me. Um, I'm probably safe in saying that the original Mary Poppins is is certainly one of our childhood favorites. Uh, and uh, both of us at one time had young children, and I'm pretty safe in uh, thinking that it was one of their favorites as well. It's just been one of the favorites over the past 50 years. The original Walt Disney movie was great. Uh, a lot of oversight from Disney himself. Uh, a lot of oversight from the author, but uh, Julie Andrews, uh, you know, Dick Van Dyke, the whole um, cast was fabulous, even if uh, Van Dyke's uh, Cockney accent was a little bit out of place. Ed Wynn uh, was one of, always one of my favorites. Um, and then the um, not only the cinematography, but the uh, insertion of live actors into animated um, scenes was just spectacular. And I'm sure that that had happened previously. Obviously, uh, Disney had done that in Song of the South, but they took it to an entirely new level in the original Mary Poppins. So uh, the original one was great. Uh, I think you always are in trouble when you try to reimagine, recreate, or re- like I said, even bring forward um, a beloved character in film. But I thought they pulled it off. And the reason I thought they pulled it off was that they did not uh, reimagine. They did not recreate. And they took the storyline forward and they took it forward, I would say, probably 25 to 30 years. I would guess the original storyline happened um, uh, around 1905 to 1910, certainly before the First World War. And in this uh, storyline, the original children of Mary Poppins uh, had uh, grown up and were having sort of their own travails. And um, Michael had inherited the home on Cherry Tree Lane, and he was going to lose it, uh, not to foreclosure on the property, because, of course, it had been paid off. But he had taken out a loan after his uh, wife had died to help manage the uh, household expensive, and he had uh, defaulted on that loan. And the bank was going to foreclose on that loan, and the bank was... uh, the bank that owned the note was the employer of his father. So um, it all sort of came together. Lynn Manuel Miranda, I thought was great in the Dick Van Dyke role. Um, he really didn't try to pull off that Cockney accent too, too much. And it wasn't nearly as uh, difficult as uh, it was for Dick Van Dyke. The Admiral next door uh, was a little bit older and uh, was in a wheelchair yet. Uh, he still, rang uh, his cannon uh, to signify when Big Ben should uh, ring. And there was a lot of magic, I thought. I thought there was magic in the uh, uh, insertion of the actors into the animated scenes. I thought there was um, magic in the um, turning the clock back that we'll get to. And I thought there was magic in, as you called them, the eggs, 
But um, I guess that's a, you, you probably I need to explain that Hollywood Insider term at some point. But the uh, having both Angela Lansbury and Dick Van Dyke both in the original production, in this production, uh, certainly in minor roles, but in roles that I thought were significant and that roles were certainly you would remember. And I, frankly, the Dick Van Dyke dancing scene was probably my favorite part of the entire movie. So uh, the movie worked for me. Um, the one thing that, uh, interestingly, my wife insisted the night before we went to see Mary Poppins Returns, we watched the original Mary Poppins. So we were, were very well versed. Um, I can't name the times I've seen it, but I'm sure it's north of 100, probably south of 500 uh, because my daughter loved the film. Um, and we watched it con- on continuous loop when she was very little. But, um, you know, it worked, and I really enjoyed it. I thought Emily Blunt uh, was a, a pleasantly surprised. Ben Witzlaw, I think his name, also uh, I thought was a pleasant surprise. And I love Lynn Man- uh, uh, Manuel Lynn Miranda. Uh, as the, uh, the Dick Van Dyke character, the chimney sweep. Uh, and all of those roles. So um, nothing is ever going to replace the original. It's in my heart as a child, and and I love it from that perspective, even re-watching it today. But I thought this was a, was a worthy successor. So uh, quickly on the eggs, um, the official term is Easter eggs. So when you go back <laughs> and you watch a, a, a TV, uh, you know, a DVD or something like that, and a treat the the Easter bunny would leave behind for you a little bit of a surprise. So if you're, you know, looking at Roger rabbit and you see, uh, you know, tricks that the animators have done, or there's a, a certain, uh, classroom that a lot of the anima animators went to at Cal arts. And that number is frequently into movies by Tim Burton and other Cal arts graduates and animators. So, um, Easter eggs are what we should be looking for in these films. Little surprises, little tasty morsels. Um, Tom, let's get to the compliance takeaways because you and I have a couple different perspectives on it. So um, why don't you share your positive ones and I will come back with mine. So uh, I was very pleased, uh, Jay, that this movie uh, emphasized once again Uh, The three most important things in a best practices compliance program, and that's a document, document, document. And the reason I say that was the uh, shares of stock that the family owned in uh, the bank uh, that could not be found. And if they uh, it was pretty clear that uh, if they could have been found, it could have uh, uh, ameliorated the condition that uh, they found themselves in. And the um, the shares did exist, but shares uh, were um, how can I say this torn up and used to patch uh, kites. So um, they weren't in a place that was readily accessible, and they weren't in a form that was readily uh, usable uh, to evidence their. Um, value and worth. Now, uh, you probably would say, well, gosh, uh, there's going to be a backup. Somewhere there should be a backup at the bank. But here we had um, Colin Firth as Mr. William Wilkins, the president of Fidelity Fiduciary Bank, had actually destroyed the evidence. 
So um, it was up to Michael and Jane, the two children, to come up with those share certificates. And they did. And they did that just in time to save the house uh, from being foreclosed on. So uh, document what you have. Document your evidence. Because remember, if uh, the government comes knocking and you uh, don't have evidence of it, it never existed. Number two, um, how do you change a culture? Well, um, part of the storyline was that uh, Colin Firth, one of my favorite actors, as Mr. William Wilkins, had taken the bank far afield from its original mission <clears throat> and core values. And the Dick, Dick Van Dyke, not the Dick Van Dyke character, but Dick Van Dyke himself played Mr. Dawes Jr. Mr. Dawes Jr. was the son of the original founder uh, or the original president in the original movie, Mr. Dawes Sr., um, and Mr. Dawes Jr. was the uncle to William Wilkins, the president. And when Mr. Dawes Jr. found out what Wilkins had done, he fired him. And sometimes you, uh, I'm a very large component of institutional justice and fairness, uh, but sometimes you have to make a dramatic change. And when your CEO uh, is engaged in unethical, nefarious, or other activity, uh, you may have to, uh, to make a dramatic change. And dramatic change indeed was made. And finally, uh, tone. Uh, I, I mentioned the change in character of the bank's mission and core values, and it became a ruthless profit. It actually became a ruthless um, machine to repossess homes and other properties for profitability for the bank. And that had taken uh, the Fidelity Fiduciary Bank far afield from where it originally uh, had been, which was uh, to take care of multiple stakeholders, uh, obviously shareholders, obviously employees, obviously uh, customers of the bank, and the public. And at this point in time, this happened in uh, 1931, uh, obviously during the Great Depression. Even in England, there was a very severe depression, and you really didn't want to be uh, foreclosing on people's homes and throwing them out. So, uh, but the tone was set by uh, Mr. Wilkins. He made it clear that was what he wanted to do. He uh, didn't care if people got thrown out on the street. It, only thing he cared about was, uh, I can't say the almighty dollar because it was in England. So it was the almighty pound. And when you have that kind of tone, uh, it really permeates the entire organization. And it took the dramatic action of his uncle, um, the seat chairman of the board to fire him. So tone at the top matters uh, going forward. What about you from think, your perspective? Do you, do you think Mr. Wilkins would have uh, gone along with the slogan, eight is great? I think it would have been uh, right within his wheelhouse. So Tom, I'm a, a bit less sanguine in my um, review of the movie and my takeaways. Uh, my first point is, if you lack the passion, you may just fail. And this is, again, through my Hollywood lens that Mary Poppins' return had all of the support and resources of the Walt Disney Company behind it. They faithfully tried to recreate the original. I love it when we go in from um, Lin-Manuel's Lin song into this dissolve of these great impressionistic uh, paintings. I'm not sure if they're actual Monets or if they're homages to them, but they, they did it all. But the problem is, is when you do it all and you still don't have the passion, you run the risk of only going through the motions and whether this is a, a checkbox exercise or a paper program, 
all the money spent, you are not getting to the people who need the message and you are not creating passion, you may not succeed. Uh, the second thing, which kind of rolls along with this point, is that you can't simply follow the roadmap, but you must design your compliance program to be fresh, innovative, and you have to take your constituents, whether they're the, your colleagues, whether they're the people who you're working with on the outside, your customers, you need them to take this journey as if they're taking it for the first time. And, and um, uh, there's something from the Passover Seder that happens uh, in, um, in the springtime where they talk about in the book, which is called the Haggadah, and they talk about every generation must uh, believe that he or she has been liberated from bondage in Egypt. So again, by making somebody walk these steps and take the mindset that we are on a journey for the first time. So I'm not saying that you need to reinvent the wheel, but you do need to keep people engaged and keep them on the path and help lead them on their journey. So I think those are also important lessons to draw. Uh, from the film, we uh, have different levels of enjoyment. I'm not sad that I saw the movie, but I just, uh, you know, had expectations for so much more. And when you look at all the sequels that are out there, I think there's only a couple series that have really been able to go on to the multiple sequels and, um, you know, succeed. Of course, Star Wars has done that to uh, differing results, but I think. Lethal Weapon 1, 2, and 3 were all very inspired. 4 kind of dialed it in. And, um, of course, there is the beloved Police Academy series, but that's for another time. I'll be back. Oh, yeah, Terminator 2. You're totally right. That is, uh, it takes number one and amps it up to a whole new level. And then um, I guess you could say that with Predator 2, with Cameron again coming in and taking this taut suspenseful th thriller by Ridley Scott and making it into um, a heart-pounding actioner. Any more for me, Arnold? Uh, I think uh, that's a good list to start with, Jay. Um, so I guess uh, sounds like a, kind of a mixed review from the popcorn and compliance team, but uh, I think I would certainly recommend people see it. And, and uh, would you go, go that far as well, Jay? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, little ones will love it. I think a little bit older ones like you and me will be nostalgic for it. So uh, I, I might say, uh, why don't you wait till it hits DVD and you can have some microwave popcorn instead of the overflowing bucket that Mr. Fox will be eating at the theater. Well, that seems like a good note to take us home, Jay. All right. On behalf of Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, and myself, Jay Rose, and Mr. Monitors, we'd like to thank you for joining us on this, the third episode of Popcorn and Compliance regarding Mary Poppins Returns. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. I hope you will join Jay and I again as we take a look at our next episode, Aquaman. If you have any questions on this podcast, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. Popcorn and Compliance has been a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.